Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. All right, all right. Citizens, how are you? How are you? All right. Yo, how many of you, how many of you, be honest here, how many of you were late tonight because the sun was still out? Right? It's like 7.05, I'm chilling in my office. They're like, Sam, you got to go preach. I'm like, I still got an hour. Daylight savings has messed me up, dude. Real talk. So my apologies. I'm working on it. Hopefully next year we will eliminate daylight savings. All right? Anybody a fan of that? You know what I'm saying? Like, let's just keep it the same. Let's just keep it the same. Let's, let's stick it to those World War II vets who worked so hard for that. Are you eating my popcorn? <laughs> They're eating my popcorn. That's awesome. Yep. There we go. So a question for you as we get going tonight, before we continue our story, my question for you is how many of you have ever had your mind blown? Like honestly, right? How many of you, how many of you have ever been told something, right? Maybe like a sibling comes to you, maybe a friend at school, maybe even your parent. How many of you have ever been told something that's like, bro, like seriously, guys, hey, hey, seriously, sit down because what I'm about to tell you is going to blow your mind. Anybody ever have that? Okay. I had this moment recently. I had this moment recently. Anthony Beatty, one of our youth staffers, he was working on an event for our high school. And he's like, bro, I got a great idea. We're going to base it off of Elon Musk. I was like, that's cool. What do like sea creatures have to do with anything? He's like, you don't know Elon Musk? And what he told me, what he began to tell me, blew my mind. So this man, Elon Musk, he's basically like a modern-day Tony Stark, okay? He's like the real-life Tony Stark. And I found out, this is a true story, I found, for those of you who don't know, I'm about to blow your mind, I found out this dude has a goal of sending kids to Mars. Like, like legitimately, legitimately, like, see, you're joking if you want to sign up. He has kids right now that have signed up. They are in an institution, and in 2024, they are punching a one-way ticket to Mars. <laughs> I thought it was a joke, but I looked it up. It's real. His goal is this, making life multiplanetary. So all these kids that think they're like in a real life version of Ender's Game, they're going to build this on Mars. Do you guys know this? How many of you knew this? You know, not many of you knew this. How many of you, this is news to you? Mind blown, right? Imagine this, imagine this. I'm gonna, I'll blow your mind again. I'll blow your mind again. Stop it. You will not go to Mars. I will not allow it. God made us on earth and we'll stay on earth, all right? No Mars. Imagine, imagine someone came to you, more real, right? More closer to home. Maybe this will blow your mind. Imagine someone came to you and said, hey, I want you to know that you can graduate high school even if you drop out. What? Right? How many of you would be like, yes, please? How many of you, how many middle scores would just skip high school altogether if you can graduate tomorrow, right? Mind blown. Somebody comes to you and says, you can drop out and still graduate. That would be a game changer. Let me drop another one on you. Let me drop another one on you. Perhaps for some of you, this is a little bit too close to home. Perhaps this is uh, ill-advised, but I'm going to do it anyway. Imagine you come home from school. Mom and dad are sitting there looking serious in the kitchen, and they say, Johnny, Susie, I gotta stop using those names, because you guys are like, like post, post, post millennials, I'd be like, Xander, <laughs> Renee, come in here, right, <laughs> Riley, Eva, come in here, Ava, come on now, right, and so you come, they call you in, note to self, use Ava and Xander, and so they call you in, and you're like, what's wrong, mom and dad, and they're serious, and they go, son, daughter, we're gonna tell you, your mom and I, we're pregnant. 
gosh, are you kidding me? You're a senior in high school, and your mom tells you she's pregnant. Oh, man. Yeah, that'd be crazy, right? That'd be crazy. A couple of people here are like, been there, done that, it stunk. But it gets worse. It gets worse. Like, this little girl's crying. She's like, no, mom. How did you even get pregnant? Different sermon, dar. Different sermon. It gets worse. Your mom says, but wait, there's more. Grandma's also pregnant. Oh! Oh! Oh my gosh! Oh my! Everybody said, Have you ever had your mind blown? (laughs) She's still crying. This is so sad. I'm sorry. We need someone. Please. I shouldn't have done it. Have you ever had your mind blown? Have you ever had your mind blown? Tonight I'm going to blow your mind. Tonight we're going to continue the story of Philemon and Onesimus, his runaway slave. And as we continue this epic story, you are going to learn something tonight that will blow your mind. And so I'm warning you, sit down. Hey, hey, you, sit down. Gabrielle, sit down. It's going to blow your mind. Last, for those of you who aren't here, quick review. Last week, we began the story of Runaway, and we learned about Philemon. Philemon was this rich guy, right? Had lots of money, lots of property, and he owned slaves. He was a Christian, but he owned slaves. And one of those slaves was none other than your friend and mine, Onesimus, the lazy servant. He was useless, pointless, purposeless. And Onesimus was worse than lazy. He was a thief. And so one day he has the idea. He's going to rob his master blind. He's going to steal from rich Philemon. He's going to pack his bags and run to Rome, the city that never sleeps. And so Onesimus, this runaway, having committed both of these crimes of running away and of stealing from his master, is about to live a life in hiding running from bounty hunters, going out only at night, maybe even wearing disguises. He's on the run from his former life and from anybody who would identify him. And it just so happens, this is a true story, by the way, Emma, it just so happens that he runs all the way in Rome, halfway around the world, he runs into none other than Paul. The very man who not only knew his master, but actually told his master the gospel and led him to Jesus. (laughs) That's a true story. He runs halfway around the world and runs into the one man who actually knows his master. And it just so happened that Paul was writing a letter to all of the Christians in Colossae, including Philemon. And so Paul says, oh, this is interesting. Come here. And he says, Tychicus, I want you to take him back to his master. And he takes out his pen and he starts writing a brand new letter. He has the letter to the Colossians and he goes, you know what? One more letter. Come here. Dear Philemon, you'll never guess what happened. Rolls it up, staples it to the homeboy's shirt and sends him back to Colossae. And so imagine Philemon He's like brushing his teeth. You know what I mean? He's like getting ready for church. He's like, he's doing his whole thing. And the doorbell rings. He walks to the front door. He opens the door. And Onesimus is on his front step. And he's he doesn't even know what's, right? He's just, you, and before Philemon can do anything, shaking Onesimus, hands him a letter. He goes, wait, 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 it's from Paul. And Philemon's confused, angry, outraged, furious, look up your thesaurus, all of those words. And he goes, Paul, and at the name of Paul, he stops, grabs the letter, And he opens it up and he begins reading. 
And we saw the very beginning of the letter last week where, where Paul says this. He says, Philemon. <laughs> Philemon. You got a big hairy situation at your front door right now. As you read this, you probably realize that you have a major decision to make here. Because everyone in that world knew that if a runaway slave was caught, best case scenario, he's being branded on his forehead as a, as a runaway slave. He's being branded on his forehead as a thief. That's best case scenario. More likely, he's going to be imprisoned for the rest of his life. Even more likely, homeboy's dead. <laughs> like that. <laughs> Homeboy, maybe, maybe I'm moving this, I don't know. But homeboy, he's looking at death here. And so as he's trembling on the doorstep, he hands the letter and Paul says to him in the first part of the letter, listen to this, listen to this. First part of the letter, he says, he says this, he goes, Philemon, I know you got a major decision coming up. I know you're probably super angry right now, but first things first, God is at work in you. Not there. God is at work in you. Philemon, my friend, my friend, my friend. Listen, you got a major decision coming here, but like I see that God is at work at you. I see evidence in your life that you are a true believer. And here's my prayer, Philemon. My prayer is that as you share in the faith, as you and your church are sharing in the faith, participating in this fellow Christianity, I pray that you would handle yourself in such a way that your community would be an effective visual aid. I pray that your, that your experience of community will effectively teach people all of the good things that we have in Christ. That's my prayer. Philemon, first things first. Having said that, now we gotta talk about the thing on your doorstep. I already told you, I'm praying for you, I'm praying according to that, but now we have to address the situation at hand. And before you make your decision, I have to tell you something that is going to blow your mind. Philemon, I gotta tell you something, I hope you're sitting down, because what I'm about to tell you is gonna blow your mind. And so as we continue the second part of our letter here, what we're gonna find is this. We're gonna find, number one, Paul's appeal, then we're gonna learn about Onesimus' experience. And then third and finally, we're going to learn about Philemon's perspective. So we're gonna learn in the next few verses, we're gonna learn Paul's appeal, Onesimus' experience, Philemon's perspective. See, all three characters are gonna play into this part of the letter. Are you guys ready? I'm about to blow your mind. Are you ready? If you're ready, say ready. ready. All right, here we go. We start off with Paul's appeal. Here we go. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. First thing we have here, this is Paul's appeal. Imagine these children. Everybody say, aw. They're beautiful, right? Brother, sister, playing a nice pillow fight on the bed. The camera has the lights, the feathers are going, and it's all fun and games. And so homegirl hits him just a little bit too hard. Brother gets angry. Brother goes like WWF on her, kicks her off the bed, jumps on her, and begins pulling her hair until she's screaming bloody murder. Mom rushes into the room. She's like, Johnny, I mean, sorry, Xander, what are you doing? And he jumps up real fast. He's like still breathing. <sighs> mom, I didn't, what, what did you do? I want you to say sorry to your sister. But mom, no, she started, shh, 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 say sorry. And so Xander, he goes, gets all tight. Gets a little bump right in the eyes. He's clenching. He's looking at her like, if he had laser beams, she'd be dead. He's like, ah, just... I'm sorry. Mom walks out of the room thinking, I'm glad I settled that. 
soon as she walks out, what does little Xander do? Looks to Ava and goes, mm, and runs out. Only half hypothetical, right? All the Xanders in here are like, yeah. How many of you know that that little boy did not make a decision to apologize? Right? He didn't choose to apologize. He was forced to apologize. He was doing it under compulsion and pressure. And so when he said sorry, that was not heart obedience. It was forced obedience. Right? And so Philemon is saying, or Paul is saying to Philemon, my goal here, it was I appeal to you, my goal is not forced obedience. My goal is heart obedience, which is why he says, I'm not going to command you to do anything here. Philemon, man, you have a big, hairy, dramatic, dangerous situation on your, on your doorstep right now. But I'm not going to command you to do anything because if I commanded you, I made the decision, not you. If I commanded you, I'm taking the decision out of your hand and I want you to make the decision. I want you to make a choice here on what to do. Because my goal is heart obedience, not forced obedience. And so he says, I'm appealing to you. I prefer to appeal to you so that everything that you do comes from your heart. And here's what I'm appealing to you to do. Here's my appeal, Philemon. I appeal to you that you would act accordingly. According to what? According to what we heard last week, according to the prayer that he prayed for him. He's saying, according to my prayer from last week, in line with that prayer that you're living out your faith would show people what we have in Christ, according to that prayer, do what is required. Handle this drama, handle this delicate situation in such a way that everybody will see, wow, that's what we have in Christ. Wow, that is the goodness. Wow, I now have full knowledge of everything that Christ offers me in his church. I appeal to you to act accordingly. Question, middle school and high school students. Does drama ever show up on your doorstep? <laughs> I love the middle schoolers. They're like, well, one time when I was in sixth grade, and all the high schoolers are like, yo. <laughs> all the high schoolers are like, yeah, my middle name is drama, you know? Of course drama shows up, guys. The real question is this, how do you handle it? How do you handle the drama? How do you handle the sticky situations? I could literally meet with all of you. It's like my full-time job. I could be like, Hannah, how you doing? Come on to my office. We'll talk about your drama. I could step into your situations. I could step into your disagreements and I can command you on how to handle it. I, as your spiritual authority, I am bold enough to command you to go, this is what's right, do it. But that's not how we as youth staffers choose to disciple you. That's not how we choose to lead you guys because we want it to be heart obedience, not forced obedience. And so instead, what we do is we look to you guys and we say, I know you have drama. I know things are messed up, but I'm appealing to you. Can you please act according to the prayer? High schoolers, can you please do not handle your drama in the way that high schoolers typically handle it? Middle schoolers, same thing. Please, I'm appealing to you. Do not do the typical high school things of adding fuel to the fire and gossiping and getting easily offended and sinning against people and then not talking. How about we don't act according to that and instead we act according to this opportunity? That we have an opportunity to demonstrate the grace and forgiveness and reconciliation and love and acceptance and all of the good things that we have in Christ, we can show the world this is what it's like in Christ. And so citizens, I appeal to you. I can't command you. I'm not gonna step into your drama. I'm not gonna show up at homeroom with my Bible in hand. Instead, I prefer to appeal to you. Act accordingly. Make sense? 
This is Paul's strategy. This is Paul's appeal. He is saying, I prefer to appeal to you. I want you to do what is required for that prayer to be answered. But before you make a decision, I kind of have to tell you something. <laughs> Dude, Paul, he, Paul's like, I just want to strangle Paul. I'm like, get to the point, you know? Paul's like, listen, 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 listen. You got a decision to make. I want you to do you. I want you to do what is required. But before you do anything, I got to tell you something. I got to tell you about Onesimus' experience. I have to tell you what actually happened in Rome. And Philemon's like, I thought what happened in Rome stayed in Rome, baby. He's like, no, I got to tell you what Onesimus experienced in Rome because it's going to blow your mind. I found him. I sent him back to you, but before I did, something happened. You guys want to know what happened? Before I sent him back to you, like I feel the tension is palpable right now. I'm like, I can cut it. Like, just tell me, otherwise I'm going to throw a spitball at you. Stop it, Xander, right? Like, before you can make this decision, and I can't, I don't even want to tell you guys, it's going to blow you, I can't. We got to stop. This is going to blow your mind. It's too much. Oh, you guys want to know for real? Yeah. All right, all right, but listen, listen, listen. If I'm going to tell you, you have to understand, this is a true story. I promise you I'm not making this up, okay? You thought pregnant mom was bad. You thought pregnant grandma was even worse. This is going to blow your mind. Are you ready? You guys want to s- s- learn what Onesimus experienced? Yes. Katie, you want to know, Katie? All right, let's do it. Let's read it. You ready? Here we go. Next verse. I appeal to you, we just learned that, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Honestly, I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But... I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. Did you guys catch it? You didn't catch it? If if your mind is not blown right now, you didn't catch it, okay? If you didn't hear it, let's look at it again. He says, there's something you should know, Philemon. He's my child. Is this something from Maury? Is this like, did, did he go to Rome and take a paternity test? And he's like, daddy, right? Like, is that what happened here? Is that what happened? Did he, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. Maybe, maybe it wasn't biological. Maybe Paul adopted him while he was in Rome. Is that, is that it? Is that what's happening? If you've been around, Anna's like crying right now. She's like, it's beautiful. He had children after all. No, no, he didn't. Listen, what's happening here, citizens? If you've been at Citizens, if you've been at Citizens for any amount of, Jackson, what's up, homie? If you've been at Citizens for any amount of time, you know what we mean by family language. If you've been at Citizens for any amount of time, you know what it means when the Bible uses familial language. Brother, sister, mother, father, son daughter (laughs) cousins there are no cousins of the faith (laughs) whenever the bible uses family language it's talking about the family of god i'm about to blow your mind onesimus became a christian you're like do i clap he's dead he doesn't hear you okay like good job onesimus like Like, guys, this is significant. Think about this. Onesimus became a Christian. That's why he's called my child here. Paul became his spiritual father. Meaning, Paul was the one that preached the gospel to him and taught him how to respond and baptized him. This (laughs) this is a true story. The same man who taught the gospel and baptized Philemon has now just done so to his runaway slave who deserves the death penalty. 
Guys, can we think about this for a moment? You mean to tell me that homeboy robbed his master, ran halfway around the world, is staying as hidden as possible from bounty hunters, and runs into Paul, his master's friend, in the biggest city of the world? Are you joking me? You mean to tell me that Onesimus robbed his master, ran away, committed capital crimes, and then ended up leading, all of this ended up leading to his hearing the gospel and being saved? You mean to tell me that the evil that he committed actually worked out for his good? There's only one explanation. I said it several times today and last week. I kept saying the phrase, it just so happened. Everybody say, it just so happened. But there's actually a better explanation than coincidence. And you know what that explanation is? You know what that explanation is? God's sovereignty. There are a few concepts that I hold more dear to my heart, right? Like the gospel, the idea that I'm in God's family, like all of those are, are central to my life as an individual. And then immediately following those, in my mind, is the reality of God's sovereignty. Many of you don't know what God's sovereignty means. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you've heard it like in a gospel record where like somebody's rapping, you know, like, yo, Kirk Franklin, God's sovereign, yo! And you're like, that's cool. What does that mean? You need to know this. You need to write it down. You need to take a picture of it. You need to tattoo it on your heart, okay? This is what I mean. When I say God is sovereign, when I talk about God's sovereignty, students, please, eyes up here, get this. I'm talking about this, that God is so powerfully in control that nothing can stop his plans and purposes, You need to know this. New Christians, you need to understand how big God really is. God is sovereign, meaning God is so powerfully in control that nothing can stop his plans and purposes. And Onesimus just learned, this runaway slave just learned that he could not outrun God's sovereignty. He just learned that no amount of mistakes, no amount of crimes could derail God's plan and purpose for his life. Instead, and this is where it just gets crazy, I don't get it. The very things that he did mess up, the very things that he did commit wrong, God actually used those things for his good. And this is what Romans 8.28 is talking about, students. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Romans 8.28, all things are worked together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So allow me to illustrate. I want you to imagine here. I want you to imagine that this is God's plan. God's plan and his purposes are moving forward. God's plans and his purposes are moving toward their desired destination. And then you sin. Your mistakes, the wrongs that are done to you, the difficult situations that you are put in. And check this out. What Romans 8.28 is saying that even these things do not stop God's plan. When we say God is sovereign, we are saying that God's purposes are not thwarted. They are not stalled by your mistakes. They're not stalled by the sin that is done to you. They're not stalled by the difficult situations you find yourself in. But it gets even better, friends. It's not simply that God's plans aren't stopped because then you might think, oh, well, God is so strong that he could just swerve around them. That's not what I'm saying. That's not God's sovereignty. And when I say God is sovereign, I don't mean that God is like a, a divine GPS that's like rerouting, rerouting. 
No, no, no. That's not what Romans 8.28 says. When it's talking about God's sovereignty, it says this, that not only will these things not thwart him, not only will these things not force God to swerve, he actually uses these very things and propels his plan forward. That the very things that you might think stop his plan, he actually uses them to accomplish it. God is so powerful that the very things that we would think that Satan or other people would put in our path to stop God's plan. When we love God, when we put faith in him, even those things work together for our good. Even those things are used to accomplish his purpose. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? Don't, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that all these things are good. Abuse, rape, cancer, our sin, all of these things that are put here. I'm not saying these are good. Don't misunderstand me. These things are not good. What I'm saying is that even in spite of those things, God can produce good. That even in spite of those things, God will accomplish his purpose no matter what. No matter what. He takes painful, ugly things, and because of his power, he can use them to make beautiful things, propelling his plan forward. I don't talk about this because I want you to pass a theology exam. I talk about the students because there is comfort in God's sovereignty. There is comfort in God's sovereignty. God is bigger than your mistakes. And every high schooler is like, thank you, God. God is bigger than your mistakes. God is bigger than the difficult situations that come into your life. Yes, students, those things are painful. Yes, they're confusing. Yes, they can even be disorienting. But here's the hope. They are not wasted. They're not purposeless. They're not useless detours. Instead, we know that God's plan is so powerful and so unstoppable that even those things will be used to put forward his plan for your good because God is sovereign. Say God is sovereign. When we internalize that, students, I promise you, there's comfort there. And so we just see that beautifully illustrated in the story. Onesimus, he was committing crimes. He ran halfway across the world. He's sentenced to, be, to, to death, to die. And yet, we saw that God took those things and actually worked it together for his good. He is now a Christian. He has responded to the gospel. He was converted. And I want you to notice, his conversion was genuine. Well, of course he was converted. He was about to die. So he was just trying to put on a good act. Of course he was converted. He was feeling super emotional. No, no, this was a genuine conversion. This was genuine faith. And you know how I know? Because there was evidence. Look what it says. Formerly he was useless, but now he is useful. Remember last week? There's evidence that someone has moved into the house. There's evidence of life here. And Paul's like, I know, I know Onesimus. That dude is lazy. That dude was useless. I know him. And what I'm seeing here, this useful man, that's not Onesimus. That is evidence that the Holy Spirit has moved into his life. And so hear me, Philemon. He is converted. This was his experience. And it's genuine. It's genuine faith. He is useful now. He is actually helpful. He's actually walking around my cell with me, serving me. So much so, I wish I could have kept him. I wish I could just keep him here with me in Rome. He's being so helpful. But remember, I'm not gonna do anything under compulsion. I'm not gonna command you to do anything. It has to be your decision. This is Onesimus' experience. And so here's how we end tonight. In light of this mind-blowing situation, Philemon needs to check his perspective. In light of Onesimus' experience, Philemon needs to check his perspective. And so we look at our final two verses. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. 
no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. What Paul is saying here, he's saying Onesimus' experience with the gospel changes the way that you view him. Onesimus' experience with the gospel changes your perspective of him. He says, I need you, Philemon, to have a different perspective. Because homeboy, he left home as a runaway. But now he's redeemed. He left home as a bondservant. But now he's a beloved brother. You, you listen, you cannot view him. Philemon, he's a Christian now. You can't view him anymore according to his class. You can't view him anymore according to his past sins. You can't view him anymore according to the mistakes that he's made because in the gospel, those are not the most real things about him. Students, this is what the gospel does. It changes the way that we identify ourselves. It changes the way that we identify others because what Jesus has done for us is now the most real thing about us. And so he says, hey, he's no longer Onesimus the bondservant. No, 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 no. He's no longer Onesimus the bondservant. He's Onesimus your brother. Your friends in high school, you don't view them anymore by their sins. You don't view them anymore by their mistakes. You don't identify them by their social class or their money or any of those things. The most real thing about us because of the gospel is not what we have done, but what Jesus has done. Students, what's your perspective about your fellow brothers and sisters? Gut check, gut check. The people sitting in this room, when you see them walk in and you have those thoughts of, what's your perspective of them? Are you still looking at them based on their sins? Are you still looking at them based on their mistakes? Are you looking at them the way that Philemon wanted to look at Onesimus as the branding on their forehead? He's a, he's a thief. He's a fugitive. He's a runaway. The gospel changes the way we view each other. And that's what 2 Corinthians is saying here. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. I don't regard you, Peyton, anymore according to the flesh. I don't. Because that's not what's most real about you. Instead, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Micah knows this scripture verse. I have a two, two and a half year old, almost three. And he knows this scripture verse because I taught it to him. No, no, no. <laughs> he knows it because there's a super cool Christian kids band. Um, and they sing, it's like, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Therefore, if any, anybody know those, right? Max, next week, bro. Cartoon music videos. My son is already learning this. The thing that is most real about you, when you are in, made, made new in the gospel, when you are in Christ, you are a new creation, the thing that is most true about you is what Jesus has done, not your mistakes. Philemon, you need to check your perspective. So here's my final question. Is Paul being a hypocrite? All this talk about perspective, all this talk about brother, why did he send the slave back? Is the Bible pro-slavery? Is Paul anti-Onesimuses? Is the Bible advocating that you can rightly own another human being? It says it right there. He sent the slave. Why are you shaking your head, Jenna? He sent the slave back. I just proved to you the Bible's pro-slavery. Take that out of context on Facebook Live, huh? Why is Paul sending the slave back? I'm gonna explain it to you. Listen to me. Listen here. Listen here. First of all, when you think of Roman slavery, you cannot think of early American slavery, okay? Early American slavery, early, if this goes off, just cut it and I grab a mic, no problem. You just give me the sign, all right? You want to Early American slavery was based on going to Africa, kidnapping people from their home, packing them into boats, shipping them across the ocean, 
and then selling them. That's not Roman slavery, okay? Perhaps there was some kidnapping going on, but the great majority of slavery was actually an economic situation more than it was a kidnapping situation. People actually sold themselves into slavery because it was the way that they paid off debts. And so I've read some statistics that say the majority of the population were actually a part of the servant class. They were actually a part of the slavery class. And so you could technically be in the slave class and still actually own slaves that were more poor than you. People were working for you. And then the other thing is that slavery wasn't interminable. Slavery wasn't a lifelong thing unless you wanted it to be. Whenever you paid off your debt, you're no longer a slave. That's why we have those Christian metaphors. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I am a child of God. You know, like, oh, slavery. That's why the Bible uses slavery. Because Jesus paid it. So we're not slaves anymore. Jesus paid the debt. We're free. You get it? So, that's the difference of slavery. And yet, slavery is still sub-Christian. Owning another person is still not right. So why did Paul send them back? Because slavery was such a, a, an integrated part of society. It was such a fundamental, foundational part of their society structure that to rally against slavery would have done nothing. To try to write a letter and take down the entire institution of slavery, that would have been pointless. You would have gotten nowhere. I challenge you tonight to try to remove the concept of states from America. Hey, teacher, I have an idea. What if we got rid of the 50 states and we became one giant state? It's what? Being the, 50, the states, that's such a part of who we are. Good luck with that. That's what it would have tried, been like to try to remove slavery. And so Paul takes a different approach. Paul, he doesn't aim for social revolution. Instead, he aims for heart transformation. Paul is not trying to throw a revolution. Paul is not trying to attack the institution of slavery. Instead, he's writing in this letter attacking the heart, attacking the attitude and perspective that leads one to own slaves. And so basically what he's saying here, he goes, Philemon, I'm not going to rail on you for being a part of the system of slavery. Instead, I want to talk to you about the heart of slavery. Your brother in the faith, you don't own him. As a matter of fact, you're a prisoner. I'm a prisoner. We're all slaves. That's why he even begins the book by saying, I'm a prisoner. We're all prisoners. We're all slaves of Christ. We're on equal footing. And so it's brilliant. Paul doesn't try to attack the entire institution. That would go nowhere. Instead, he attacks the heart and he says, let me address your perspective. In the gospel, we don't own anybody. Because of the gospel, we don't belong to anyone. We belong to Christ. We belong to Christ. Onesimus is not your slave. He's not a servant to own. He is a fellow brother in the family of God. And so here we go. We have Paul's appeal, Onesimus' experience, Philemon's perspective. Now, Philemon, in light of those things, I want you to make a decision about what you're going to do with him. Will you turn him into the authorities? Will you kill him? Will you brand him and send him away so that he'll never get a job again and will live in poverty for the rest of his life? What will you do, Philemon? And you know what he does? We'll find out next week. Hey, listen, listen, listen. Guys, guys, this is a complicated situation, all right? This was a mess. Guys, think about it. This was a mess. Technically, it still is a mess because I haven't told you the conclusion. This is a mess, okay? This could easily be a story of pain and brokenness, regret and loss and death. But instead... We see that God is so big, God is so powerful, God is so in control that he has now started to make this a story of life and redemption and purpose. In other words, friends, the lesson that we learn just from having our minds blown, just from having that realization, the lesson tonight is none other than this, that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. And so here's how I want you to respond tonight. I want you to ask yourself this. What are the messes in your life right now? What are the messes in your life right now?
Some of you, I'll be honest, some of you are in a messy situation because of you. Some of you in a messy predicament like Onesimus because of your own mistakes, because of your own sins, because of your own choices. But I also understand that there are some of you that you're in a messy situation because of the wrong done to you. Some of you guys here tonight, you're in a messy situation because of decisions that your parents have made. Some of you are in messy situations because of the decisions that friends have made, because of things outside of your control. What are the messes in your life? Some of you here, I see you. I see you. You're sitting back going, well, I'm not in any mess. Life is good, man. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what these people next to me are talking about. I have no messes. Just wait. Just wait. And one day you'll be in a situation where you'll be able to empathize and understand what your neighbor was talking about when they raised their hand tonight and said, yes, I have a mess. What are the messes that are in your life, students? And as you think about those messes, remember the lesson that Onesimus learned. God is sovereign. When you put your faith in Jesus, when you follow God, you can have the confidence that nothing will stop his plan. Nothing will be wasted. All of the messes and the pain that you're in right now, one day with eternal hindsight, you will be able to look back. And just like Philemon, or just like Paul said, one day you'll be able to look back and you'll say, ah, for this perhaps is why. Oh, I look back with that situation. For this perhaps is why God did this in my life. Oh, for this perhaps is why or how God worked out that situation for my good. Oh, and with eternal hindsight, we'll be able to look back and go, God was always in control. God's plan never wavered. God actually used that for my good. Glory to God. For this perhaps is why. I end with a story tonight and I won't leave you in suspense. The story's about me. My mother was a drug addict. My mother was born addicted to crack cocaine. When she got pregnant with me, she didn't stop. And so all the drugs that she's taking into her system as an infant in the womb, I'm addicted to drugs. You're like, that explains everything. <laughs> I was born... And I suffered withdrawals. My mother, she was taken away. She went to prison. I was left there in the hospital, in the NICU, struggling, trying to live and survive as as my body experienced the absence of the drugs that I had grown dependent on for nine months in the womb. Many people would look at that situation and they go, if God was real, how could he let such an innocent baby suffer? If God was good, how could he allow such damage to be done to an innocent child? If God was real, why did he not step in and intervene? And 28 years later, with perspective that only hindsight can offer, I'm standing here tonight and I can tell you confidently as I look at my life, ah, for this perhaps is why God allowed me to suffer even for a moment. Ah, I got adopted by a Christian family. Ah, I learned the gospel. Oh, I met God. Oh, he called me to be a minister. He called me to be a leader. Oh, he called me to preach the gospel to people like you. And now here you are hearing the gospel and getting baptized. Oh, for this perhaps is why. God allowed that to happen. The messes in your life, they're painful, friends. They're difficult. They cause you to question God. But here's the thing. I can't tell you why. I don't know why, okay? If anybody tries to tell you why, tell them to shush it because they're lying. We will only fully know why when we have enough time passed that we can look back. So I can't offer you cheap excuses. I can't offer you tired cliches. I can't pretend to know the mind of God. All I can do is assure you and encourage you young students, young Christians, God is sovereign. That's me as a baby. And here I am today. God is sovereign, students. Find comfort. Learn what Onesimus learned, that his mistakes could not stop God's plan. 
your foolishness, your sin, your mistakes, the things that are haunting you at night, your regrets, the things that you can wish you can erase. You can't, but you can know this, that God is sovereign and nothing will stop his plan. Let's pray. Lord, I just thank you so much, God. What a phenomenal true story as we learn about Onesimus. Lord, I, I, I still can't even fathom it, God, that this man was trying to run away from his old life, and yet there you were, the hound of heaven, seeking him out, God, and you found him. Lord, I praise you that you are sovereign. I praise you that nothing we do, that nothing that happens to us will shake you or stop your plan. And Lord, I pray for these students right now, Lord, that the, the truth of God's sovereignty would take root in their hearts and comfort them in their difficult times. I pray that the story of Onesimus would lead them to put more faith and trust and reliance in you as they navigate these stormy seas of middle school and high school. Lord, produce faith in them, produce trust and reliance in them on you and your goodness and your complete control, Lord. And now, Lord, our only response as we end this gathering, our only appropriate response to a God that is so big, to a God that is so in control, is to sing at the top of our lungs. God, I apologize. Lord, forgive me for beginning to sing or entering into a musical set and I fold my arms and I keep my lips shut. Forgive me, God, because you as a sovereign God are worthy of so much more. God, I gawk and I, and I shout and I sing praises of things that are infinitely less than you. God, I get excited about football games. I get excited about sports. I get excited about hanging out with friends. And Lord, I lift my voice louder for those things than I do when I sing about the one true God. God, I'm sorry. We're sorry, God. So thank you for your grace. Thank you for giving us a rich time of being in your word tonight. God, we love the Bible. Lord, we say here at Citizens, we love your Bible because tonight as we opened it up, tonight as we listened, you spoke to us. And so now, Lord, after you spoke, now we speak, we respond, we praise you, and we say glory to God. Lord, would you be pleased with our song, be pleased with our lives as we worship the sovereign God. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you guys to stand to your feet, and we're going to praise God in the way that he deserves. Amen? All right, let's pray. Let's sing. Let's sing.